Hello and welcome, my friend, to the penultimate episode of the spring 2022 Minnesota Gardening Podcast season. I can't even tell you how much fun this has been to put together an entire season and just the extraordinary people I've been able to talk to and interview and chat with and people who contributed to this season. I just can't thank you enough. And we'll get to that a little bit in the in the final episode there, episode nine. But right now we have episode eight and we have Michelle Brune, who is from ForksInTheDirt.com and Michelle is just so much fun and she has a ton of information and we talk a lot about how we can extend our seasons here in cold climates, how we can get weeks out of our growing season. It's not just by only putting, you know, greenhouses and tunnels up. She has great ideas as to how we can grow earlier and sooner in the season and it, you will learn a bunch from this episode as well. And so Michelle Brun from Forks in the dirt. All right. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. It is really, really awesome and my honor to have another great guest with us. We have Michelle Brune here with us from ForksInTheDirt.com and she has just an amazing blog and Instagram following and just does a lot of really great things in the gardening space to teach and to help people understand what's going on. And Michelle, thank you so, so much for being with us here today. Well, thank you, Bear, for having me. It's really fun. And I mean, who doesn't love to talk about gardening in the spring? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so will you tell people uh, before we get going here a little about yourself and Forks in the Dirt and what and what you do? Yeah. Well, I keep on trying to figure out exactly what it is that I do with Forks in the Dirt. But basically, I am a local food lover. I'm a gardener, a grower. I love educating people on growing their own food and how they can do that. And I also run some farmer's markets and work with schoolyard gardens and have worked in community garden spaces and, and the like. Awesome. Yeah, it's I highly encourage everyone to, especially on Instagram, to follow Forks in the Dirt. It's a really, really great outlet and information source for everybody. So that's a wonderful thing. And the last few episodes in this season in the Minnesota Gardening Podcast, we're talking about starting seeds and spring gardening. And we just had a series of episodes about starting seed and getting things transplanted and growing. And I'm really excited to talk with Michelle about extending the seasons on your gardening. And so there are a lot of different ways that people can do that. And so, Michelle, what is the benefit of extending the seasons and how uh, – I'm not going to ask the end how yet. We'll, we'll get to that part. But what is the benefit of extending the seasons? And let's just talk about spring to start, and then we'll talk about fall after that. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, it seems pretty obvious. You After a long, cold Minnesota winter, the earlier that you can start eating out of your garden, the better. And there are some really simple ways – to extend the season and get weeks, if not like a month plus earlier, for sure, out of your garden. And just that eating fresh out of your garden is, there's just nothing like it, especially after the, the snowy winters. Yeah. And what, so what kind of methods are there for extending the seasons? Is it that people have to get a lot of equipment to do it? Is it p things that people can do with stuff they have on hand? What's, what's the, what are the opportunities there? Yeah. Well, there's, you know, like anything, you can go all in or you can dabble. And I would kind of suggest people to start by dabbling a little bit, taking the, those first steps towards extending the season. And, you know, with all kinds of gardening, you can really do a lot by simply observing what already happens in your space. 
looking for those little microclimates where it gets warmer earlier, where does the snow melt earliest in your yard, in your garden space already? If you are planting plants that are early spring plants in those places, you're already like working with nature to extend the season. So putting rhubarb in a place where it's going to get the earliest exposure, if you love rhubarb and you want that first, think about putting that there, or asparagus, um, chives, green onions, things like that. You, it's, it's crazy how much you can do just by figuring out where you're at. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't actually thought about it that way. That's uh, really – I have rhubarb that I need to move this year because it's getting shaded out and rhubarb doesn't like shade. No. Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. So do some sun mapping. Figure out where your, your earliest spring warmth is. And this is something that you can look at even like under a deciduous tree that might leaf out later. But if it gets that really warm sun, it's a kind of a fun, sneaky place to put it out. And I mean, I'm getting rhubarb like weeks earlier than other people in the Twin Cities just by kind of figuring out where that warmest spot in my garden is. And then, of course, you know, there's lots of other things you can do <laughs> to to bring it together. And I think... The fun part about extending the seasons is it's not just an either or, it's always an and for me because you can choose the right kinds of plants and then choose the right kind of coverage and, you know, kind of a method of increasing the warmth and just changing that growing environment for a plant a little bit makes a big difference. So Michelle, when you're talking about coverage, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah, so it's kind of any kind of a structure that you put over um, a, the soil and then eventually that plant um, to warm the soil makes a huge difference. So you can start, the easiest thing is putting like just a layer of clear plastic over soil or over snow to melt that snow faster. And then the next layer would be kind of like a movable, simple to construct low tunnel. And that is something where you are pounding in either metal frame or some rebar and then slipping over some bendable PVC to then drape over some poly or plastic to create kind of like a mini little teeny tiny greenhouse. Not teeny tiny, but, you know, a 10-foot stick of PVC bent over doesn't really, it's not as tall as you'd think if you're putting it into the ground a little bit. So they're nice. They're a great way to use the sun's heat and the sun's energy to warm up some space underneath. And especially when you're thinking about direct sowing or germinating seeds out in the spring, it's much more about the soil temperature than the air temperature. And there's nothing better than plastic to heat the soil that way. And I know we don't like to think about plastic, but if you get something that's like two to four mil plastic, that's the thickness of the plastic you could look for of a clear plastic, that's going to last you years. It's not going to rip and tear as easily as the thinner stuff. So it's an investment in like a, a non-renewable <laughs> resource kind of a thing, but it really will add so much to your garden. So I think it's a, I think it's worth it. And talking about that, Elliot Coleman, who's like the OG organic gardener, season extender, guru guy, he kind of talks about this in one of his books about how you kind of need to find that balance point between what kind of energy you're willing to put into extending the season and what you're excited about getting out of it. So, and that's going to be different for every single gardener. So I, you know, play around with it, see what works for you in the space you have with what plants you really want to grow. So what kinds of things if for, let's say that someone hasn't, they've just gardening and doing that kind of thing, and they haven't really experimented with extending the seasons and, and getting the most out of the space that they've got. What what time of year would they start doing that and what 
plants would they even think about, start thinking about using? Great, great question. So really, there are definitely plants that lend themselves to being cold hardy is what we call that. And you think about the things that, you know, you see at farmer's markets earliest is a good place to kind of start if you're really new to, to the gardening world. So a lot of the greens, spinach, radishes are really early, and then a lot of the brassicas, so cabbages, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, all of those things are a lot easier to keep happy in the 40s and 50s. And even some of them are fine hitting a frog. But that's when when you have that little bit of coverage over it, you can really keep them happier earlier, much earlier. <laughs> so those are the plants that I would suggest kind of starting with, especially the, the lettuces, the greens, the spinach especially, is so easy to start really, really early. I was able, I did some research here. I looked back at my last year and I was sowing spinach on March 9th last year into my cold frame. So, and that's similar to those low tunnels, like we just talked about. A cold frame is just a wooden structure with like either glass or some kind of a clear plastic on top of it to kind of trap that sun's heat again, trap the heat and then warm it, warm that soil up. So those seeds like arugula, spinach, lettuce, radishes, a lot of those are going to germinate at like 40 to 45 degrees soil temperature. And so that's a lot lower than a lot of us Minnesotans think. Like we all, we're way far away from that whole Memorial Day to Labor Day (laughs) gardening world then. And it's, it's really fun to be able to play and to see how early things can germinate. Peas also germinate, you know, 45 to 50 degrees soil temperature. And I was planting those out the first of April last year. So there's a lot that you can do really, really, really early. And so when you are doing that, do you ever like start things inside and then transplant them outside? Or is that difficult with the temperature changes? How does, how does that work? Yeah. So definitely I'm, for me, uh, season extension is like a combination of all of those things about direct sowing the, the, the ones that really do well earliest, and then also for sure starting a bunch of seeds inside. I'm already started some babies inside here because you know you need that. So a lot of the times I will warm one of the low tunnels specifically for transplants that I'll be transplanting out from the from brassicas usually. So a lot of the joy choy uh, or pak choy kinds, savoy cabbages, broccoli, those do really well transplanted out into a low tunnel. But again, that is going to be something where the soil temperature is going to probably need to be closer to 55, 60 to really do well with a transplant because they've been growing inside and no matter how much hardening off you do in the meantime, you know, they're going to get shocked if it's too much colder than that. But it's still totally worth it because, you know, I was, I mean, I was getting salads by, you know, the end of April for sure. And by June 1st, I was harvesting so much joy choy and cabbage out of the garden that I could, couldn't keep up. And that's June 1st. So that's, you know, usually... It, and it's just so fun to see what you can accomplish. And it's different each year, which makes it fun. Keeps you, keeps you guessing. <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually my next question was that like this past summer, summer 21, just spring was unpredictable at best for, for gardening. And so we were really cold with freezing temps through middle end of May. And then it got just super hot right after that. So how, how does that type of temperature fluctuation affect 
season extension here? Do you need to do anything? What what do you need to pay attention to as as you're going through that spring? For sure. Well, so the sun gets incredibly intense. You know, we think about June 21st is the is the the peak here. So by May 21st, I mean that we're getting really really hot and then April 21st too. I just kind of kind of go back from the spring equinox up to that summer solstice. We're really we're really increasing the sun's intensity and the chance for things to fry also inside of those low tunnels. So you need to make sure you're really ventilating that. So Overnight, we need it covered and tucked in to keep all this the the previous day's heat inside. But once you hit, you know, ten o'clock, a lot of times in the morning, you'll you're going to want to be able to vent that a little bit. So, I mean, between a soil thermometer, which is also known as a an extra just garden dedicated meat thermometer, because <laughs> you don't need to yeah you don't need to have a special you know super long thermometer to test the soil because really think about where the most of the roots are especially right when you transplant they're just going to be in the couple top inches of soil so that's what you need to be checking out so you need a, an extra air thermometer and an extra soil thermometer to have out in your cold frame and your low tunnels I mean they're not expensive so. It's, it's definitely worthwhile to, to have a couple of those. But as far as the, the huge fluctuation in air temp, you will notice if you start hanging out with your thermometer like I do in the spring, the soil temperatures do not fluctuate anything near as much. Once you're warm, once they're warmed above a freezing, they tend to stay that way. And if you think about it, like what is the sun attracted to when, when you have black soil, it heats up a lot faster than if you have like straw over your garden beds as well. That was one of the bummers where I, when I grew a really thick cover crop and it was just this gorgeous, you know, in place mulch, but it was really, really light yellow and it reflected a lot of the light. <laughs> so I ended up throwing a, a layer of compost over it so that I could heat it up in time to plant some of my brassicas into it because it it just was not warming up and I had never experienced that quite that intense of a difference but it made sense once you think yeah. about it so it's a lot of just observation and getting out there and playing with it right and so is as we look at this for spring what kinds of differences if any are there if someone is extending the season working to keep things going in the fall question meaning differences in when you're what you're harvesting when you're harvesting yeah what kinds of things can you do an extended planting of in the fall is it the same types of plants that you're that you can work with in the fall as in the spring are there differences Mm -hmm. there and and do you put up the hoop in the fall too or what do you do yeah, so I've had the best luck with, so let's look back up for just a, like one quick second. When you're starting things so early, you can also then succession plant quite a few times a lot of with a lot of the crops that we've got and a lot of the time that we have in Minnesota. So if you're starting things early and you're harvesting by June, you know, it's really a great time to start either another round of brassicas or beans or something else in there. So when you get to fall, you're going to have a whole nother round of whatever your favorite things are because, you know, that's why we garden is to eat the food and you need to be able to grow what you love. Otherwise, why bother? But as far as extending it into the fall a little bit more, um, it, I, I tend to put up low low tunnels over a few broccoli and cauliflower that I want to keep a little bit longer, kohlrabi actually, and then some of my savoy cabbages. A lot of the kale, Brussels sprouts, that stuff, they're so big and 
there it's not doesn't make sense to try and put a low tunnel over them and also they don't really need that protection unless you're really going to try and keep them like completely over winter usually by the time they're getting so cold that they're not growing and then they're really frozen and, and deteriorating because of the cold, they're just so dried out too because their roots can't take up any moisture because the ground has been frozen for so long that it's just time for that plant to be done anyway. Right, and a lot of those Brussels sprouts and things like that will taste even better after they've been frozen too. For sure. And that's why, so with succession planting in my cold frame, because that's not... I don't have the height on that. I tend to grow carrots in the fall in my cold frame because of the the added sweetness after a little bit of a frost in there. It's just, there's nothing like it. It's just so fun. And with talking about a cold frame a little bit, I just want to throw out there if anybody's interested in building one, they're very simple. There's so many different plans out online that I'm not going to bother, you know, giving you any specifics. But what you want to make sure you do is get that angle of the glass panel or plexiglass or whatever you put on there, you know, somewhere between 35 to 55. And I think 40 ish degrees is a really good middle of the road number for us here in Minnesota. So if you angle it south towards the sun at 40 ish degrees, that's going to capture a lot of that space. So then you think about how high up you want the back of that to be and and just kind of go from there. So it's it's a great way to to get so much more out of your your our shortened season here. Also spinach does really well in the fall in cold frames and low tunnels. So when we're talking about cold frames, it is yours just a uh, a wooden box with a, a back that's higher than the front, and then you have uh, windows that you put over it. How what's yours? How is yours? Configured? Yeah, yeah. So we built ours based on some windows that I found on the side of the road because I, that's how I roll. Nice. Definitely, yeah, definitely easier to build a cold around whatever you're going to be using on top because I think that that's the trickiest part is if you're finding individual windows, if you've got an old door that you're going to lay sideways, you know, something like that. So build it to whatever, you know, works for your yard, whatever materials you have found, <laughs> and then go from there. So I've got three individual windows and I kind of like having the individual windows. I can really um, get really zoned in there on how the airflow and the temperature. And just like with the low tunnel, you're going to really want to make sure you're venting that in the spring as the sun gets more intense and as things really start heating up. And then is do you then just plant in yours all year long? Like what you started early in the spring, it just stays in there. And then the opportunity arises in the fall could put those back on to keep things a little longer. But do you just um, huh. use that as a regular raised bed from there on? Or how do you how do you work that? A little bit of both. So I've done it both ways. And, you know, all I do it all the different ways because it's always fun to explore. And just, I don't know, I'm such a garden nerd. I like little experiments all the time. So I've kind of done a little bit of everything. But one thing that I will say about both the cold frames and the low tunnels that I've been experimenting with in the last couple of years is taking another idea that Elliot Coleman talks about with like double layering and adding some, the more you layer, the further quote unquote south you can go. So if you've got say a winter sewing jug or a very, very low piece of, oh, I just lost a word for it, fabric, reme, what am I trying to say? Floating row cover. There we go. Floating okay. row cover. You've got something really low over like a spinach or a lettuce or something. And then you also have the plastic of a low tunnel or 
the protection of a cold frame window, you're doubling that layer of protection for those plants inside there and the soil. So you can actually move for every layer you put on one to one and a half zones south. So that brings us in Minnesota for zone four brings can bring us easily down to a zone six. So you think about like, you know, last frost dates and stuff like that. So you can really kind of, you can really stretch things out by playing with that. So I've had really good luck starting winter sowing jugs of early season brassica inside low tunnels and my cold frame. And then I am, then the hardening off is just, you know, a lot easier, but it's also, you do still have to give them a a couple days without any of the milk jug top on there. For, For those of you who don't know what winter sowing is, it's really a simple process of getting some milk jugs out. <laughs> it sounds so funny, but creating that like little mini greenhouse out there for a lot of times it's native perennials, but it's also been, been growing in popularity for the use of vegetables as well. And I do some of those yeah. just out on their own. And then I also do some of them inside another layer, like the low tunnel or the. I took last fall, I had just some like leftover pea seeds and radishes and beets, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something else that I did too, but I can't remember what it was. We'll see when when they start to grow. But in the garden, I just tossed them in, in the soil last fall to experiment and see see what'll happen. We'll we'll see where they go from there. And if uh, it's a massive failure, it uh, loses me about 50 cents worth of seed that I probably wouldn't have used anyway. <laughs> That's fun. Oh, you mentioned one of my favorite vegetables, beets. Um, beets is another great one to start in a winter sowing jug, and then and then transplant it because it it gets just enough of a, a root structure, but not too much. I have not had luck starting beets inside and transplanting them out, even in my even in my soil blocks. So I've had much better luck starting beets and Swiss chard actually outside in the in the. Yeah, outside, either direct sowing or in milk jugs underneath and then transplanting them out. I feel like it's just, they're hardier plants. They just don't have as much transplant shock because they're just out there. But again, then then, then you're getting it, you know, maybe a couple weeks later than you would have if you would have started them inside. But you see, and there's always, there's all these different ways to look at it, all the different techniques to use. And you just kind of figure out what you're willing to put into it and what you want to get out of it. Right. Exactly. With, especially with starting seeds, I mean, you can't go wrong because seeds are so cheap. It's not, uh, you're not putting a huge, huge upfront investment in them. And if, if, if whatever you try doesn't work, you can always try it again, or you can just buy some plants. I mean, they're always going to be available and it's a, it's a really great way to experiment and find out works best for you and your family. I love that. Yeah. I think it's, it's so fun to be able to play with seeds and find out. I mean, and I, I have like a deep respect for each baby seed that I touch because the seeds are amazing. They have everything inside of them that they could ever need to grow. And they'll, they'll grow if you give them, you know, most of what they need, even (laughs) not even everything that they need, but just most. And, um, but yeah, there's definitely things that we can do to help them along. And I think, you know, giving them a nice, uh, happy soil is is definitely a big part of it. Well, Michelle, this has been an awesome way to show people how they can extend their seasons and get more out of the precious warm months that we get here in Minnesota and in the upper Midwest. Is there anything about extending the seasons that I haven't asked you about yet that you'd like to talk about? 
Oh my goodness. I could probably go on and on, but I would just say really try it. Check out exactly what, you know, your area is, has for like last frost dates and play with those, play with those numbers and get yourself a dedicated thermometer out there and start being a garden nerd too and get out there and, and test your soil. See, see how early you can germinate things on their own and yeah, just have fun with it. And Brad, thank you for asking all these fun questions. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. Well, you can find Michelle Brun at uh, forksinthedirt.com is her website. Also, make sure to sign up for her newsletter. The newsletter is, you just do such a great job of sharing and explaining things. It's really, really well done, as well as uh, she has some online courses available there also, which uh, I haven't personally done, but I'm sure knowing you through as well as I do so far Mm -hmm. that uh, they are amazing. So thank you so much for being here and have a great rest of your day, Michelle. Thanks, Brad. You too. Bye-bye. This is one of those, but wait, there's more type episodes because Michelle and I got done chatting on the episode and we're talking after to make sure everything went well and that kind of thing and realized that there were a couple of different items that we did not talk about in the podcast that we really wanted to, that we thought you would enjoy as a listener. So we did an addendum podcast, I guess we're going to call it. So we uh, we tacked a new one on at, at the end here, and I hope you enjoy. It's working. All right. All right. So we had some things that uh, we didn't cover during the episode <laughs> that we really, really should have because I'm an idiot for not asking. And no. uh, so I'm sorry about that. But first thing that we need to cover is you and uh, Minnesota from scratch have a book that is coming out. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, it's just in the baby process right now, but it has going to be a book kind of with different aspects about suburban and urban homesteading. So we are excited to be able to bring this to you at some point in next January. And it talks about, you know, ways that we can find our groove in figuring out what we love and what our homestead our smaller homesteads can actually bring to um, our tables and our neighborhood, and then also what our neighborhood and our community can bring to us. So it's about knowing your farmers, working as a team kind of with our communities. So that's that book. And I think that that ties in really well with both Stephanie and my kind of philosophy on how we do things. And Forks in the Dirt is really kind of about the three prongs of like local food. It's grow your, growing your own food, knowing your farmer and cooking and preserving real food. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great thing. And that's what we really work on. And that's what this whole season of episodes is all about, is giving people the empowering people and giving them the knowledge for growing their own meals and making sure that we're self-sufficient, reducing the amount of you know transportation costs that come with, with transporting food across the country and across the world and different things like that. So it's a, a beautiful, really good tie-in. And we also didn't talk much about farmers markets as well and all your work you do with uh, White Bear Farmers Market. You want to talk about that um, a little bit? Well, I mean, I love my farmers. I wouldn't eat without my farmers because like... I'm on a suburban lot, so I can't have cows. <laughs> I can't have enough chickens to feed my family, or I can't, and I can't grow enough sweet corn to make my family happy all year long. So those are things I really rely on our farmers for. So throughout the years, um, interviewing people for Forks in the Dirt, I also just got these great relationships built with them, and wanted to give farmers a chance to sell their food longer into the winter, and then all of my community, I wanted to give them a chance to eat longer locally into the winter. So five years ago, I started Winter Farmers Markets in White Bear Lake, and it's been a blast ever since. Awesome. I think it's really important for people to understand that they're 
they need to find like a, a happy medium that works for them and whatever works in their, their lives. And what you just said, it hits into that perfectly of like, I, for a very long time have only done gardening for meals, like adding on salads and for like just other little pieces and not doing heavy gardening for, you know, canning tons of tomato sauce and that kind of stuff just hasn't been in what we do. And so I think it's really important for people to find out what they will use and to think about that as they're, as they're planning and looking to the future and then augment that. Like I'm, I'm just not going to grow sweet corn at my house because if I'm going to eat sweet corn, I'm going to eat a lot of sweet corn. So I get that from Peter's pumpkins. It's just up the road. And so that I think developing that community and around how you eat and survive is really important. Yeah. I think local food is going to truly like save humanity. And I know that that's like a big statement, but I honestly believe it because when we're supporting those local farmers, we're supporting the way they grow the food and in all the things that the soil, how they build the soil, how they, they manage their crops, how they manage their livestock. And that just creates, um, not only a better ecology, but a better economy locally for our community. And like, bottom line is it just tastes better. <laughs> There's no doubt. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm going through right now and um, writing a ton of garden vegetable growing guides basically for how, and these are for our Minnesota gardening club folks. And so we've got, these are put together. And yesterday I wrote a whole basically a soliloquy an ode to celery and how much better <laughs> celery tastes when you grow your own celery. Like that's, I mean, yeah. things taste better when you grow it yourself in general, but uh-huh. celery is one of those. That's just a completely, it's like a different vegetable than what you buy in the store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. And it has actually has flavor and very few strings. So it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that about almost everything. But yeah, celery is like in a whole different category of different flavors for sure. Fun, right? Awesome. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you for doing this. I don't know. We're going to call this a sequel to the episode, or we're going to just, uh, <laughs> this little epilogue. I think it's an epilogue. Epilogue sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Funny. All right. Well, thanks again, Michelle. Everyone can find her at forksinthedirt.com and uh, make sure to subscribe to her newsletter and Instagram channel. Thanks, Brad.